Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sustainable Futures Show. This is Anthony Day helping you to make sense of sustainability at home, at work and at school. Sustainable business. More and more organisations are taking sustainability on board. And if your customers want you to be sustainable and you want to keep them as customers, then you have to meet their expectations. The name of the game is Sharing Best Practice. And last week I met an organisation which helps businesses do just that. Share Best Practice. And why B-E-S-S-T? Well, you'll find out in a moment. Well, today I'm in Telford and I'm with Jacqueline Kitson, who is Business Network Coordinator for BEST, and Andy Weil, who is Chairman of BEST and the Environmental Officer for RICO UK. BEST, that's B-E-S-S-T, the Business Environmental Support Scheme for Telford. Andy, can you start by giving me an overview of the structure and the purpose of this organisation? It's basically a partnership between local, private and public sector businesses and our role is to assist businesses to improve their environmental performance in order to boost their competitiveness and reduce their impact on the environment, basically to drive sustainability. Great, sounds like a good idea. I don't think I've come across anything exactly like it uh, recently. I mean, I seem to remember when we had the ODAs, the... We had the RDAs, they had a number of organisations, but they seem to have sort of faded away. Did uh, BEST come out of something like that, or how did it start? Telford, in fact, is a Japanese hub. At the time, the Telford Development Agency encouraged a lot of Japanese companies to come here. What we found was they had very stretched environmental targets, um, and there really wasn't the knowledge available to put those into place. Right, so we found that individually we were struggling. Mm-hmm. So getting together and reforming BEST meant we could develop and share models and create best practice and then horizontal deploy between us. Okay. Right, so that, that became the initial framework. Uh, what happened then was it grew. It started off with about six members or so and uh, more and more people became involved. It went beyond the Japanese sectors really. Right, more people started to realise the benefits of doing this, cost benefits, the customer facing benefits and also the efficiency benefits in terms of what they could do in their own factories. Uh, it started to go beyond the factories. Uh, we took on the sort of tourism sectors, uh, business professional services as well, became members. They built us in. And then in 2005, there was a business resource energy and waste programme set up by the government. And part of that was to create resource efficiency clubs uh, across the UK. Uh, we tapped in some funding with that. We became more and more a partnership with the Telford and Reeking Council's Inward Investment Team an economic development team because they recognised that we provided a ready-made forum. It was a mm-hmm. symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. for inviting new businesses to come to the area and they could improve their environmental performance as well. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we needed we need some organisation. There's just really a group of blokes having coffee mornings. It's a case of uh, need someone to sort us out, uh, event management and the administration of, of running a proper club. Right, so is that where you came in, Jacqueline? I've only been doing it for about four years now, but that's yeah, that was what was set up. There was a lady before me, Amy yeah. and Wendy. They they were sort of key to setting the framework that we've got now. So for me, it was just an easy takeover. Really. So you're coordinating the organisation. Now, is this organisation working as a consultancy? Are you selling services to the members, or how no, do you actually add value to them? It is just a network. It's a network for sharing best practice and oh. sustainability. There's no... 
there's no uh, consultancies as such, but what we do is our, our role is to really get together. It's all about networking, finding out what the sustainability issue is. Mm-hmm. Right? How do we go away and tackle that? Uh, typically, we pick a subject within the steering group. How do we go away and tackle that? How do we create a solution? How does that become a model? And how do we deploy that to all our members? Right, okay. So would you say that a lot of this has been driven by the demands of the Japanese organisations in particular? For us it was, yes. Um, I often do talks now where I explain that we have this life cycle comet circle uh, model that we work to. Um, And there's a lot of talk now about the circular economy. And yeah. the, uh, we work closely with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Oh, do you? Yeah. And the Institute of Environmental Management Assessment on their resources of network. Um, and you speak to people in those sort of forums and they say, oh, you know, we've created this new circular model. I say, well, actually, ours has been in place since 1994. So we've been working since then to actually get it into practice. Mm-hmm. And we call it the Comet Circle. Um, it's, it's a typical approach where we have looked initially at waste management our zero waste aspects, but then moved into remanufacturing products. Mm-hmm. Right, so we'll create a model like that and then share it with uh, other best members mm-hmm. and other organisations to try and promote sustainability as a whole, right. holistically. Do you have um, a schedule for the year? Do you have a schedule of events? Do you have regular meetings? And do you set all the topics out in advance? or How does it work from that point of view? We do. We do five breakfast events a year. Um, the first one is a joint event with... MetNet, which is the March's Environmental Technologies Network, and they usually provide a, a really keynote speaker for us, mm-hmm. and that's actually next week, that event is. Um, and then ours are themed, the April event is generally back to basics, we do events on legislation, biodiversity, whatever sort of, you know, is driven by the business needs, really. Um, mm-hmm. But they're all um, pretty standard events, really, um, very well attended. Um, yeah, yeah we, we do do plan. We do site visits as well. We encourage our members to to put on a site visit for other members. So they can showcase what they've been doing, and we do perhaps two or three of those a year if mm-hmm. we can. Mm-hmm. And do the members pay a subscription, or, or do they just pay for the events, or how do you actually fund this organisation? <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, up until last April, it was completely funded by Telford Reading Council. But of course, budgets were yeah. you know um, reduced. But they still provide um, about eight hours of my time a week, um, which mm-hmm. is their, their sort of sponsorship of, of the event, the network, really. I'm talking to Jacqueline Kitson and Andy Weil of BEST about sharing best practice. So do you find, though, that there is scepticism and cynicism and people who don't really understand about sustainability and don't really think it's a business issue? Yes, and that's one of the reasons why... Um, People join best so they can help learn the appropriate language, language being the issue, whether it's uh, the language in the boardroom or the language when you're engaging with uh, non-government organisations such as the envi- well, even the Environment Agency or other partners such as the Shropshire Wildlife Trust we work with. We found language is to be an amazing barrier between us because we talk about things like the circular economy and they talk about natural capital. And there's all these things where we just get back to basics, relearn each other's language, and then make a business case of it. Okay, so you will talk to the finance director in terms of how sustainability will impact the bottom line. Yeah, we use the model of the uh, people, planet, profit, what we call the three Ps. And what we found is typically using one of those angles uh, will get you through the door and get the business project launched. 
So um, we asked them what their specific target is, whether it's employee engagement uh, through the people aspect, or cost saving, or revenue generation, or even compliance through the uh, profitability, even brand awareness if you want to promote that, or also from the planet side improving natural capital of your sites. Um, we use that as an in really. Right, so if we're talking to uh, the board member, we've had best members come across it with exactly this problem, uh, where they've gone in and said, our board really isn't interested in being green. I right? just want to make stuff and make a profit and make sure we stay in business. And we explain, well, being green will keep you sustainable and will keep them in business. But if you're going in to talk about something they're not interested in, you're never going to get it off the ground. Right, so talk money, talk the profitability aspects. So we gave them a small uh, project where they could take some learning from us. Uh, they made an initial saving £150, something stupid like that. Yeah, but then they turned that into another project which saved them £17,500. Right, then they turned it into another project. So it's because at that point they were able to show that there was some value to this, value to these activities, mm -hmm. to the business. And then they've turned that into another project which saved them £20,000 uh, on one of their lines and they've got four more lines to apply to. Okay. Quite apart from the financial side of things, do you find that... Um people within the supply chains are demanding standards, demanding that your members have, say, ISO 14001 or ISO 50001. 50, it's almost a given. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, Best is lucky enough to be made up of a, a large scope of members, uh, including SMEs. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that perhaps it's not so applicable to those, but adopting some of the environmental management standards is probably beneficial to the, their operation. Uh, but in our supply chain, the larger corporations, it's a given. You have to have an environmental management standard to uh, actually do business. Uh, it's a, and specifically for RICO, uh, Denso, Lyrico, um, Epwin Group, and even lots of the other steering group members, it's just something that you have to have. Uh, it makes sure you're compliant for a start, but then it drives the change through the plan-do-check-action plan, cycle, Deming cycle. The plan do check action. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's a case of applying those principles and even with the new 14,001 standard that's coming out is looking at stakeholder engagement as well. Mm -hmm. So it goes up and down the supply chain or the demand chain as we now call it. Right. Um, and also engaging with local community groups and we found BEST is, is the ultimate forum for that. Right? So you're engaging, you're, you're developing and sharing best practice but you're engaging with uh, partners that you wouldn't have done to before, so the local authority, the wildlife trusts, right? not exactly business-facing, right? but now all collectively in this pot where we're working on sustainability together. Right, OK. Tell me a bit more about what you've done at RICO, because you were mentioning earlier that you've had an energy-saving uh, project, and I think you've also worked on waste as well, haven't you? Yeah, we've been through the Zero Waste Programme back in 2001, and since then we've been developing and honing our waste streams really through our Waste to Product Programme, um, just to create products that we can actually sell opposed to someone to dispose of, and that's generating significant revenue. Uh, our energy saving activities are actually best in the RICO Group. Uh, we, we've employed, we were given typically tight financial restrictions as well, so typically we were asked to give a return on investment of two years. So it sort of excludes us from the solar panels or the large renewables that we're looking at. So we focused on variable speed drives, dynamic control of the energy assets that we have. And we've been through a, a really big program of applying those across the site. Um, what that's given us is now the quick wins. 
uh, and now we can start looking at the large solar arrays when we start putting one on site things like that. Uh, but what we found is that employing that is one has saved us uh, thousands of tonnes of CO2. Mm-hmm. This puts us group leaders within RICO. Um, our targets have been reviewed and re-stretched because of our performance um, and the expertise that we've developed. But also in terms of cost, we have we would have been paying one million pounds a year in extra energy costs if we'd have done nothing. Mm. So again, it's come back to this people planet profit aspect. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a significant uh, renewables sector amongst your members or uh, in the area? The March Environmental Technology Network or MetNet is really where we go to for that, um, and that's why we have a joint event once a year, so mm. we you know, get people together. Uh, it's an exhibition they hold. It is. It's every February uh, joint event. They provide a keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, next week's the, the February event, and we've got five speakers next right. week with um, Eon and the National Grid mm-hmm. also coming along to talk to members. And that's our key um, key event for the start of 2015. Right, right. Well, this is very encouraging that you've got a lot of people who are actually on board. Would you say you've got more on board than people who are cynical and uh, deciding not to play? I'm not saying it's easy. It's uh, it's still very much a uphill struggle. But what we've found is that um, by actually working together, creating the models, uh, creating the case studies, putting them on the website, the websites, and going out to talk about them, you get a lot more people involved. And the models we've created have gone national and international. So, t- what sort of models are you talking? So about? we talk about um, uh, the int- we worked with the National Industrial Symbiosis Program about waste matching. Uh-huh. About one man's waste being another man's raw resource, yeah, and uh, it's basically a waste matching program. And when they came to us to say, uh, basically, uh, could we hold an event? We sort of turned that back on its face. We said, well, well, what can we do for you? Yeah, and what we looked at is typically they'd go into an area and they would talk to one or two businesses, and they'd explain about uh, waste mapping, right? and then try and match up the business on sort of a national database. And what we said is, look, we've got three major industrial parks in Telford. Why don't we have a waste mapping training event in each of those parks? Right? And then they, those parks can go away and check if there's any symbiosis, waste symbiosis between them. And then we'll have one big Telford-based event, right? and then we'll get everybody together. Mm. Um, that ended up with some, some nearly 500 industrial symbiosis waste matching in that event. Um, and then that event was also used as a model in Tianyin, the port authority in China, they followed the same model. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the other end of the scale, we've worked with uh, Shropshire Wildlife Trust. We've created uh, what we call the hierarchy of corporate biodiversity, our aspirational hierarchy where businesses can see where they want to be in terms of engaging in uh, conservation and natural capital enhancement. Uh, And we presented that nationally at a conference for the wildlife trusts too, so they can engage all their corporate members in this activity. So there's a lot been going on, but I think there's a lot to do, isn't there? What's the, what do you see as the next challenge to business from a sustainability point of view in the next five to ten years? Overcoming short-termism. <laughs> That's not just about sustainability, is it? It's about business at large. It is, but we've got, even in RICO where you've got a 2050 based program yeah yeah and we've got targets set along that it's it's getting um everybody aware of that 
So it's, it's getting your own organisational awareness so that you've got these really stretched long-term targets of sustainability that you're going to work to, right? and we have to achieve them. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, it's, within business, what we found is that's easier to do than in the public sector yeah, or at a government level. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my experience, what we've found is we've had more continuity. Business continuity is actually an, an advantage. So I've been in the role of the environment officer for 14, 15 years now. Yeah? And we've been as an organisation working there for 30 years, the majority of which we've gone, had environmental targets that we've worked constantly towards. Yeah? And that target, 2050, hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but governments have been and gone since then. We've had governments looking at resource efficiency programmes, we've had uh, water reduction, we've had use of renewables, we've had then another government come in and take the funding away for austerity measures, but also looking at um, red tape challenge when they're taking legislation away, uh, rightly so, on, in some cases, but in some cases wrongly so. Yeah, I mean, looking back to the fundamentals of what was the original reason of why the legislation was put in place. Mm. Yeah, so what's the fundamental reason why it was there? And if you just sort of wipe it off the face of the earth, then what are the measures or the metrics that can be used to force business into working towards sustainability? Mm. On balance, are you optimistic? Yes, uh, we're growing the circular economy uh, with our remanufacturing actors, and there's lots of companies doing that now. More and more, and they're creating case studies, so everybody can follow the examples. Um, and we're developing the natural capital awareness and developing corporate biodiversity with the Wildlife Trust is what we've been doing more recently. Uh, changing the way that they view businesses as a resource for funding as opposed to a resource for specialist trained people within their workforce that can go out and work on behalf of the trusts. So, uh, for example, at RICO, and there's other examples at Lyrico and Denso as well. Denso is a great example, actually. But RICO, what we did is... Um, when, when we joined as a corporate member, and again, it was a RICO group target to work on corporate biodiversity. We didn't have a choice in it. Uh, so we joined as a corporate member with the Wildlife Trust back in 2009. Um, but then the, the approach that they took at that time was, OK, you can join, give us some money, and we'll go away and do something. And I explained that we didn't want to do that. So we set up three rules, local, physical, and targeted. That's going to be local, so our employees can get engaged. It's going to be physical. Well, I'll give you some money, but I want to go out and do it. That's going to... It's going to build my awareness and it's going to be targeted. What's the reason for it? So is it in the biodiversity action plan? Is there a local uh, nature reserve that needs some action? Is there a species that's under threat in this area? Right. So we used those rules and then we went away and actually did stuff, worked on projects that have made a difference. Okay. If you came across an organisation which is not into sustainability yet, what would your message be to them? We, we go in and sell the benefits of best. Right. Yeah. So but suppose it's an organisation that's not in this area. We, we engage through um, speaking at larger conferences and explain the benefits, the business benefits. We focus, always focus on the business benefits of being in best right? and the fact that it's very good value for money. Um, and that it's just basically our, our social responsibility and working to working towards sustainability is essentially not a journey that you can take by yourself. It's pointless doing it by yourself. Yeah? Unless you get everybody engaged with it, you're not going to get anywhere. 
And so our message is that, and also the fact that we can come into you and we can change your business. We can make it better. We can make it more efficient. We can save money for you at the same time improving um, that environmental impact reduction and business benefits are actually synonymous. Well, that's a powerful message. Anything to add? Um, what we would say is that if, if you're in the local area, join best, obviously. Uh, but typically, the message that we've had, what we found, is, is working together. Don't be afraid to work together. What we found is environmentally impact. Sustainability is not a competitive issue. It's something that we need to collectively work on. And sharing the best practice models is going to help us all in the future. Ultimately, we see um, sustainability as business continuity. If you're not thinking about sustainability, you're not changing the way you operate in a sustainable manner, you're going to suffer from uh, resources, lack of resources in the future, uh, and you're going to go out of business. Thank you. Well, I've been talking to Jacqueline Kitson, the Business Network Coordinator, and Andy Weil, the Chairman of BEST. Thank you both very much. This has been very interesting, and uh, I'm sure it will generate a lot of interest on the website. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Futures Show. And thanks again to Jacqueline and Andy for their insights into sharing best practice. There'll be another episode next week. I haven't decided exactly what it's going to be on. But in the future, we're going to have many more interviews. And we're going to cover different aspects of sustainability. Sustainability in business, sustainability at school. If there are other things that you would like to include, then please let me know. As always, mail at anthony-day.com will reach me. That's all for now. Till next time.